Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Ryan Holiday is one of this generation's foremost thinkers and writers on ancient philosophy and its place in everyday life. He's a sought-after speaker, strategist, and the author of many best-selling books, including The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, The Daily Stoic, and his latest must-read number one New York Times bestseller, Stillness is the Key. His books have been translated into over 30 languages and sold over 2 million copies worldwide. You can follow him at Ryan Holiday or subscribe to his writing at ryanholiday.net. Today we're going to cover everything from raising kids, dealing with anxiety, the balance between pushing hard and letting go, as well as making it as an entrepreneur in today's world. Ryan, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start with stoicism. Define it. What is it? When did you discover it? And talk about the transformative effect it had on you. So I think the the big thing to to tell people is there's a big difference between lowercase stoicism and uppercase stoicism. <laughs> so, and I imagine especially with your audience, like lowercase stoicism seems the opposite of what you want to be, right? That's like repressing your emotions, that's stuffing things down, that's sort of that sort of inability to feel pain, inability to feel vulnerable. That's what that's what the word stoicism means, but that's not what the philosophy of Stoicism is, which dates to ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Uh, it's a philosophy for doers. It's a philosophy for a world that is, you know, full of adversity and pain. But it's, it's not about not feeling emotions. It's about not being ruled by destructive passions. Uh, it's not being crippled by fear or worry or anxiety. My sort of definition of Stoicism is like a Stoic believes they don't control the world. They only control how they respond to the world. And so to me, that's, that's, that's an incredibly resilient, empowering way to, to, to live. You're, you're resigned in some sense, or you're, you're accepting some powerlessness, but you're taking this power that, that I'm always going to control what I'm going to do with this. So like the, the four virtues in Stoicism are courage, justice, doing the right thing, moderation, temperance, and sort of balance, and then finally, uh, w- wisdom. So to me, those four things are the opposite of that sort of idea of lowercase <laughs> stoicism, right? Like, I think it would be hard to find someone who's like, oh, the world needs less courage, less balance, less justice, less wisdom. So that that's what I write about. So this idea of you can't control what happens in the world, yeah, but I can c- control how I respond to it. I like that. I dig that. I think yeah. we all subscribe to that. But one of those things that's a little easier to say than it is to do often. Totally. I mean, one, one, one of the things I say in, in The Obstacles Away is just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. And and I think that's true of Buddhism. I think that's true of Christianity. I think the, the whole point is these things are pretty clear cut and straightforward, but it takes a lifetime of practice to, to get there. And I think that's an important distinction too. When we think philosophy kind of have this academic context that we view that in. So we think like, oh, this is someone who reads a lot of books. This is someone who who comes up with interesting theories. Like two of the most interesting characters in all of philosophy are Socrates and, and Cato. And these are two people who did not write anything down. They were considered <laughs> philosophers because of how they lived, because of the questions they asked, right? Because of the example that they set. So when we say it's like, you know, easy to say, hard to do, it's really the doing that they cared about the most also. Well, 
how do you, so you mentioned practice and to me, I think of, you know, athletics performance Yeah. and you, you do need to practice, you need to exercise those muscles. You need to work out. How can we exercise those muscles on a daily basis to start to build strength, build resilience? So as, as sort of integral as the practice of meditation is in the Eastern schools, I would say journaling is to the Western schools. So the idea of, like, when you look at a book like Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, it is not a book in the sense that we see it as a book. This is not a guy writing a thing that he hopes people will read. This is a guy writing to himself. So he's, he's going into the day, this is how I want to be, this is who I want to, this is who I want to be, this is how I want to act. And then at the end of the day, he's like, did I do it? Where did I fall mm. short? Where could I have done better? And so this sort of morning preparation and, and evening reflection is an essential component of the philosophy. So like one of the knocks uh, about Marcus Aurelius by academics for, for, for thousands of years was like, it's repetitive. He's saying the same thing over and over again. He's just talking about his temper. He's talking about not being afraid of death. You know, he's talking about these ideas. And it's like, Oh, yeah, that's because these things are really hard. And he's struggling with it, and he's talking to himself. So so it, the self-talk is a big part of it as well. Um, it's That it's it's a practice of, of reminding yourself of what you believe and then evaluating how you're doing it on a regular basis. So I'm curious, in your opinion, what's, what makes that magical? Is it the idea of putting your thoughts to pen and paper and, and like holding to that vision or is it holding yourself accountable on th- a daily basis? I think it's both, right? So it's like, okay, I'm, I'm flying tomorrow. Do I, I, I go, okay, you tend to get stressed when you're traveling. Here's why you're stressed. Here's probably what you're going to worry about. Here are the parts of that that are in your control. Here are the parts of it that are not in your control. Here's what you should try to do tomorrow. You know, sort of talking yourself through that. And then as you're going through it, it's like, hey, we, you know, you're saying to yourself, we talked about this, right? Like, how's it going? You know, remind yourself how you want to be, um, you know, sort of set the intention for how you want to go. And then when you get home, it's like, all right, but were you rude? You know, mm-hmm. were, were you stressed? Did you, did you, did you take care of yourself? You said you weren't going to eat a sun, Cinnabon at the airport. Did you eat a Cinnabon <laughs> at the airport? You know, so it, it's that, it's the... The, the setting the intention, it's the reminding yourself of the intention, and then it's the reviewing. So I think it's all of it. Um, but I particularly think like on the more emotional side of things, like, hey, like, this doesn't matter. This does matter. You're worried about this. Like, it's sort of, I think, for me, the act of writing down what I'm thinking about or what I'm worried about often takes the bite out of it. You realize that a lot of what you're saying is absurd. Hmm. But left to run in your head on repeat is toxic. Yeah. I think we all struggle with that, that one. Of course. And what, what I love about angel philosophy and you read these books is you're like, when we say we all struggle with this, it's that we have all struggled with this for 2,500 years. It's not just post-Instagram. Totally. There's a quote I have in stillness from Blaise Pascal. He says, all of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Hmm. And he didn't have an iPhone, you know, like, like, <laughs> oh, this has always been a problem. So you mentioned sitting quietly brings me the title of your amazing must read New York <laughs> Times. Every bestseller list there is stillness is the key, which everyone has to pick up this concept of 
stillness. Yeah. Can you define stillness? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> or how about the why? Why is it? Why is it so important? I think what I love about stillness as a word is that it is this sort of vast sort of thing that it encompasses so much, and yet it's kind of intuitively obvious at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like, like um, so there's a bunch of synonyms, right? Equanimity, poise, imperturbability, you know, uh, clarity, calmness, serenity. But what I love about stillness is that it's like still, it's like, it's like saying, you know, kind of like being still, you know, it's like has the, has the components of still, but it's this, do you know what I mean? It's, it's a, it's, we're not even saying that we have a, the word by definition is saying that there isn't a precise definition of it. And yet when I, when I say it and when I think it, I can immediately recall moments in my life when I clearly experienced it. And what I think so interesting about the word is that it appears in Confucianism, Christianity, Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, Stoicism, Islam, Judaism. It's, it's universal. It, yeah. It's universal because it is the thing we are fundamentally working towards as as human beings. I think I think there are very few people whose even their vision of success even if it's if it's actually a delusion their vision of success is like and then i'll be good then i'll feel good then i'll be okay do you know what i mean even like it's like if i become a billionaire i won't have these feelings inside anymore i'll feel good i'll feel still and and obviously that's a, an, an illusion but but i think what we're all working towards is stillness yet it's also and i quote you i love this from the book it's not new age nonsense Totally, totally, and that, and so I think what as a, as a writer who's typically focused on Western philosophy, I do think there is a a pragmatism and a realism to the stillness that Marcus Aurelius is talking about as the emperor of Rome. Like he's talking about stillness so he can make better decisions. He's talking about stillness so he can be more merciful. He's talking about stillness so power doesn't corrupt him. He's talking about stillness so he can, you know, manage his fears. Like he's talking about in a very real sense in a world that we live in today that's sort of defined, it is a descendant of that world. So in some sense, one could define it as extreme awareness, focus, ability to tune out noise. I I mean, one of the main sort of characters or stories that sort of is themed through the book is like Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis. I love that, yeah. And so it's like the the temptations and the worries and the fears and the problems that Marcus Aurelius is facing, not that altogether different than what Kennedy is facing in the Missile Crisis, although the stakes are higher. And then still, like, somebody going through a divorce, someone negotiating the sale of their house, someone, you know, about to take a free throw in a playoff game, like... All of those dis- all of those high stakes situations require and are improved by accessing that same stillness. Hmm. So something else you talk about limiting inputs, saying no. How do we do that in a world with texting, social media, all the distractions we have in this day and age? Yeah, again, timeless problem. I mean, the story I tell in the book is. Napoleon would delay opening his mail so that when he opened it, a lot of the problems had solved themselves. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you know, I th- I remember the, the irony. In- <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember when I went on my honeymoon. This was I was going to be like no email for like two weeks or three weeks or whatever it was, and I was convinced. You know, I wrote this elaborate autoresponder. I've talked to all the people that worked for me. You know, and then I was because con- you know it's you get a get probably a hundred emails a day. So I thought, okay, so two weeks times a hundred emails, it's going to be insane. It's like I didn't check it for two weeks and there was like 300 emails. And you realize like the emails I'm getting are a function of the emails that I'm sending. And, and, and uh, that, that uh, I'm as much part of the problem as, as the onslaught is. And so I think like one of the things I do with my mornings now is like I sort of call them phone-free mornings. So the first, like I try to spend an hour or two, maybe more, not checking email, social, like just not touching the phone in the morning because I want to start the day not in response to things people have done to me. You know what I mean? Like not like, hey, uh, you know, just got this news back from your publisher that's not how I want to start the morning, good or bad, right? I don't want to. I don't want to my morning to be defined by what Donald Trump tweeted while I was sleeping. So like, w- walk us through a day in the life, a typical day. I know there's no typical yeah. day, but let's just say you're at home with your family. What's a typical day in the life? Yeah. So travel is obviously the you know the, the the thing that disrupts it. But so I wake up early. I got a three year old and a six month old. My kids do not sleep uh, at all. So I I I wake up, get them dressed. Don't check the phone. And then I leave the house with them and we just go for a walk. We try to be gone for as long as we can be we can be away so my wife can sleep. So usually we walk for an hour or so. We watch the sun come up. We're outside. You know, we look at the animals. So this is around 6 a.m., I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And and I'm out in the country in Austin most, most of the time. And so, you know, you watch these sort of beautiful sunrises. It's a dirt road. There's deer and turkeys and you know it's it's just it's awesome and uh so we, we do the walk then i come back um we cook breakfast you know we have eggs from you know our own chickens like we, we're sort of doing the the sort of country thing and and then i go upstairs that's when i do my journaling um and then i try sort of after breakfast if i don't have to you know take them to daycare or school or something um, to go right into the writing for the day. So a big part of my sort of managing the inputs is like, I also don't schedule anything before noon. So um, again, I don't want the day to be built around other people's things. The first half of the day, I want it to be built around what I need to do. So I get that done early. And so by noon, it's like, I've already I've already had a successful day and then everything else administrative or there is no administrative stuff is extra. I try to exercise in the afternoon and then I try to be done by like five or six. Hmm. So two very different people in different businesses, but John Mackey told me that I think he doesn't schedule anything till after 10. And he told me that Bezos is the same way. That doesn't mean they're not working very early, but they don't schedule anything until 10 is late for them. Yes, sure. Right. So it's this idea, I think I'm, I'm guessing it's the same narrative controlling a little bit of your day in the morning. Yeah. It's like, so it, it, you know, let's say you, you're checking email in the morning, you're scheduling things in the morning. All those things are, have the chance to create infinitely complex variables that, that ripple through what you're able to do. Right. You, 
you have a phone call and that now you got to go do this, or you get an email that says now you got to go do this, or there's this fire. I want to be almost blissfully unaware of those things in the morning so I can do whatever the creative work or the big picture stuff that I have to do that only I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I can be done with it and then everything else is extra, you know? So if I do end up having a, you know, a free morning, <laughs> the podcast you were on is canceled, which is always a huge relief. Uh, then, then it's like, it's more time to sure. do this stuff, but I don't, I don't want, the other thing I don't get is, is, is like the stuff that requires the deep, concentration requires the most willpower and so you don't want to dissipate that early on stuff you don't want to do sure so something you mentioned you mentioned earlier uh traveling kids we also have a three-year-old and and a six-month-old two girls and travel with kids is one of the most stressful things we endure travel is already stressful (laughs) travel is stressful but then when you throw in a three-year-old you know i i (laughs) How do you, how do you do it? Any advice for us mere mortals who aren't as patient as you? Uh, have an amazing uh, spouse or partner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number one. Um, yeah, I, you know it's it's really it's really tough. Um, I always feel like every time we travel, like you know, we go on vacation or something, and you're just like, so wait, the reward for this vacation is now like routine and structure and sleep patterns are worse than they were when we left like why did we do this <laughs> so true. you know um, <laughs> and they're they're not glad you know like they're not glad you went on vacation and if you have help like if you have a daycare or you have a nanny or whatever you're like <clears throat> wait so <clears throat> vacation is is us watching the kids more <laughs> you know um it's funny colleen and i had the same same thoughts a couple of weeks ago after getting back from vacation yeah we're, we're going in a couple of days but uh i think i think one of the things i try to remind myself is and this i think goes this idea of being present I, alexandra horowitz wrote this book that was really influential to me once she wrote an amazing book called uh inside of a dog which is beautiful book about dogs but then she wrote this book called on looking or on seeing and basically what she did was this is a long story to tell in some point, but she, she went on a series of walks with experts about different things, you know, like an, ar- uh, an archaeologist in New York City or a geologist in, you know, the mountains or, you know, different things. So, uh, you know, what are they seeing in an environment that she would take for granted? And one of the walks, she goes on a walk with like her three-year-old son. Um, and so they were going to take a, a walk around the block in New York City. And she was thinking, okay, so we leave our house, go to the elevator, go down to the lobby to go for the walk. And then she realized that to her son, that was part of the walk, <laughs> right? Like the experience of leaving the apartment was the walk, whereas for her, the walk was being outside. And so what I try to remind myself of with kids is that like to to an adult, you think the vacation is the place that you're going, and to them the whole thing is an experience. Mm-hmm. There's a great Jerry Seinfeld quote um, that he he talks about. He's like, "There's no such thing as quality time." He's like, "He's like, give me the garbage time." Mm-hmm. You know, he's like eating cereal, hanging out in the car. So what I try to remind myself is that like this is all the trip, and so to be right. stressed, like we gotta catch the plane. You know, we gotta. You know, you're you're ruin you're you're trading time that you have for certain, which is right now. 
to have special time in the future when it's like they'd probably rather you be less fun on the trip and just be nicer on the airplane. Yeah. So I, I just try to remind, one of the things I'm working on is being like, none of this matters. So like yeah. enjoy all, all, like the walk to the elevator is part of the vacation. The drive to the airport is part of the vacation. So don't be an asshole yeah. during that part. It's funny. It made me think of we, uh, at our Revitalize event a couple of years ago, we interviewed Jimmy Chamberlain from the Smashing Pumpkins, yeah. the legendary drummer. And we were talking about this this idea that I think all parents, you want to give your kid a better childhood than, than you did. And, and he was saying he didn't grow up, you know, I think wealthy. And, and so he was saying he had this great line. He said, you know, as a kid, I didn't remember that I was going on, you know, vacation and like the beat up car or whatever. Yeah. I was just going on vacation and remind right. yourself of that. Like as you work to strive to give yourself a child, maybe the better vacation, the better seat, yes. all that as a kid, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I got, my books have sort of made their way through professional sports. So I get cool tickets to stuff. And so we had these box seats to a, a, a Spurs game uh, a couple weeks ago. I took my son, it was his like first NBA game. So we we're watching and, you know, he was excited that the lounge area had free popcorn. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and and it's like, you know, I drove an hour and we did the thing and, you know, he he met one of the players. It was this whole thing. And what he cared about was a free popcorn. And it is a free popcorn is awesome. Yeah. Like like and then and then it was like we were at Home Depot two days ago. They also had free popcorn there. You know? And it's like like you don't have to like the thing kids what's so wonderful about kids is how on the one hand they're incredibly difficult to impress you're like you know i bought you this special thing like this is my favorite movie they, they cannot give two craps and then free popcorn is amazing and i think this is i, I haven't done uh psychedelics but i think one of what the sort of defining characteristic you see in accounts of doing psychedelics is that the childlike sure. state of wonderment that it brings you to and and so realizing that you're actually depriving them of those things by taking the process parts of it so seriously and so that that's what i remind myself when i when i travel so what have you learned in your own journey that you've applied to parenting um well one of the things we talk about with with our son who's now three is like learning how to be alone so like you know they wake up in the morning they're in the room and gotta go in there sure and it's like you can watch them on the baby monitor they don't actually need you to go in there like like so so it's like you just the cultivation of time in solitude and not having every minute of your life scheduled every minute of your life having to mean something learning how to be quietly in a room alone that's one of the one of the things that i think we're we're thinking a lot about the other the other one is is um that idea you know you don't control what happens you control you respond I'm trying to think about my parenting philosophy, not just teaching them that, but also trying to embody that my, hard. myself. Of course. <sighs> Especially of course. when the three-year-old is like going to do something potentially dangerous, the six-month-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, and, you know, now it's like you know, they're hitting each other, yeah. that sort of thing, and you're like, you, you want to have this reaction to it, and then you realize that the reaction is actually teaching them Oh, that's what I have to do to get a reaction. So you right. you learn you you learn how important it is to be able to control yourself and not react emotionally to things, or it can have the there's a 
Chris Hadfield, the Canadian astronaut, he, had this, he said this thing in an interview once. He said, you know, what I always remind myself in space is that there's no problem so bad you can't make it worse. <laughs> and I think a lot of the, you know, you, you realize like, oh, I'm actually, I think that my reaction is fixing this thing I don't like, but it's actually having the exact opposite effect. Sure. So you mentioned your work is, is vastly, is hugely popular with, a lot of professional athletes. I'm curious, why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, certainly when you decide to write about an obscure school of ancient philosophy, you're not <laughs> like the New England Patriots. That's where that's yeah. going to work. So it's been incredibly cool. Um, I think it's a couple things. So one, um, I think ancient philosophy has been done a grave misservice by most writers, which is that they they treat it as an abstraction rather than as a thing for real people in the real world. But but I think sports, they realize the great coaches are like, all the best plays are figured out. All the best strength and conditioning strategies are figured out. The, the, the race for talent is figured out. So where, where, is the remain, where are the remaining advantages? And it's how does a team bounce back from adversity? What's the mindset they bring? You know, how do we keep ego in check? Um, and so even at the highest level, like, why is it that, you know, teams make it to the Super Bowl and then the next year they're terrible? You know, why is it that, you know, teams are really good one year and then they can't get it together? How do, how are there teams that have all the ingredients required to be successful and yet they are not successful? And so I think the the books present ideas or timeless principles that maybe help there. Sure. So ego. Yeah. And something you've you've written about, <laughs> and if I were to think about what's going on going on in the business world right now, there's there's and something you've talked about this con- confusion of confidence and ego. Yes, and to be a leader in res- in your res- retrospective field and to make it, you do need confidence, but there is a fine line with ego. So, yeah, so I make a big distinction between confidence and ego. And I don't think, I don't, I, I think one, they're very different things. So uh, people go like, the right amount is confidence and then too much is ego. I think it's more like confidence is something you earn. Confidence is based on facts. Ego is sort of stolen or artificial or, you know, um, and we on the outside often conflate someone who is very sure of themselves as being confident, but is that based on anything real. And and what I think is interesting about confidence is, you know, uh, about ego is is that it is nonpartisan, uh, non-gender specific. It is totally universal. It's like, why does Hillary Clinton lose the 2016 election? Lots of reasons, but also she thought she had it in the bag and she campaigned in states that she shouldn't have been in at the expense of states she should have been in. Why has Donald Trump had such a difficult time being president? Policies aside, he's made a very hard job much harder by assuming he, like, there's an Epictetus quote I love. He says, it's impossible to learn that which you think you already know. <laughs> and that, I think at the core of ego is 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 that, is, is the idea that if you think you know everything there is to know, you're right, because you cannot learn anything else. <laughs> and so <laughs> ego is this thing that, you know, it brings down nations, it brings down brings down leaders, it brings down business people, it brings down entrepreneurs, it brings down athletes. I mean, the collapse of WeWork is, uh, you know, a, a, is a, 
essentially the same arc as Shakespeare's plays, as the Greek plays. You know, I mean, this is this is what we do, right? We 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 people whisper in our ear that we're special and amazing. The rules don't apply, and we believe them. And that works until suddenly and catastrophically it stops working because it's not not based on fact. Well, this is where stillness comes into play. Totally. I mean, there's literally no one less... Tuning st- out the good and the bad. It's- I mean, there's nobody less still than an egotistical person. Like, that's what I try to remind people about Trump. It's like, would you trade places? Like, you have, Not like you get to be president. Would you live inside that president's head, right? <laughs> but but one of my favorite quotes from Marcus Aurelius, he says, like, the key is to learn how to accept it without arrogance and let it go with indifference. You know, that is exactly sure. the even keel that you're saying. Like, the good stuff doesn't say that I'm better, and the bad stuff doesn't say when I'm bad. And that that's, I think, the thing that people miss about ego. I, I've been around... You know, I was at American Apparel. I watched that company go go to the top. <laughs> it's a and whole other podcast. <laughs> and then, and then, I, and then I watched it destroy destroy itself. And I, you know, I talked to him after he was unceremoniously fired. And you realize that's when you don't want to be the egotistical person. You know, if Trump loses re-election. You know, if Kanye's album doesn't fit, you know, doesn't sell. You know, it it's the problem with identifying with your success is that inevitably you do fail. Inevitably, even unfairly, sometimes you're attacked, you're, you know, kicked out, you're made the enemy, and then you listen then too, and that's when you're devastated. So there's a lot to unpack there, and there there are two two points. The first is letting go, and then success. So I'm going to start with letting go. And so I think a lot of type A people, myself included, and something you've also talked about is this idea of, of loving what you do and being in the journey and being passionate about what you do. And so I'm one of those people. Yeah. And I think what I fall victim to, and I think other people who fall victim to, victim to who love what they do is they can't, you know, they, they obsess about it, if you will. They yeah. love what they do. It's not work. They're in flow. It just, they're working for hours and they have to solve the problem. Like it, yeah. it, it's a, and so in that, when you you love something so much, you also you'll set goals. Goals are milestones. They're important, especially for building a business. And so there's the rub in that you love something, you're obsessing, you're you're setting goals. It's your passion. It's your life's work. But at the same time, the balance of knowing when to let go, the push and pull. And how do you think about that? Yeah, it's like the thing that makes someone great: the desire to always improve. The urge to get better to focus on where you're not as good as you could have been is a motive force that moves you forward but also makes you incapable of enjoying what you have and that that is the rub so i mean i've tried to get to a place where i'm not goal oriented at all when you read uh like zen in the art of archery you know he's like don't think about the target he's like think about the form think about letting the arrow go um and and that's really hard to do but but it is, I I've just found, it's it's almost like focusing on the goal, is taking away resources from doing the thing you need to get to the goal. So like in sports, you know they talk about the process. Sure, the like, journey. Trust the process. Yeah. Do your job right. Yeah. Like Nick Saban, he's like the average down in football is seven seconds. Think about seven <laughs> seconds. You know, and and I so like my goal isn't to write best selling books. 
you know, or to sell a certain amount of copies or hit a certain bestseller list, like that's the byproduct of showing up every day and doing it. And, and that's, that's true for all parts of the process. That's true for the conversations with the publisher. That's true for the marketing, blah, blah, blah. But you want to get to a place where, okay, the results come in and they're better than expected. You go, oh, cool. You know, they come in, they're a bit lower than expected. You go, cool. You know, so, cool. Right. so, so you can not, not, not because you're indifferent, but because it doesn't affect whether you still have work to do. Do you know what I mean? Right. Well, it's a little bit of a cliche, but what I always say to people is, you know, if they want to start a business, for example, I say like, is it kill you not to start it? Would you be doing it anyway if yes. there was no no money, no upside? And if the answer is yes, then you should probably do it. It's a little bit of a cliche, but it's often true. I say the same thing to people who write books because it's like, first off, this will be the most painful experience of your life. <clears throat> so to do it for money or to do it because you think it'll make you famous or to do it to impress people is a real bad reasons to do it. Um so I always say, like, you should, you can only write the book that you can't not write. Yeah. You know? Gotta get it out of you. It's killing yeah. you not it, to it will share hurt. it. And so, like, I say, like, if someone can convince you not to do it, they've done you a huge favor. You know? <laughs> it's like in Fight Club where they're like, go away. Do you come back, you know, day after day for three days? Or, or you know, can you, can you not, if you can not do it, don't do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's a sign that you 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 like it for the right reasons because you know like my first nine my first eight books conspicu- conspicuously suspiciously do not appear on the New York Times bestseller list sell enough copies do not appear so that would be devastating if that's why I was doing it you know but I was doing it because I wanted to say something so I succeeded before it came out because mm. I said. And that was something I, you know, the Stokes, the big exercise in Stoicism is the dichotomy of control. Is this up to me? Is it not up to me? Writing the book I want to write, up to me. You know, it reaching the audience I want it to reach, not up to me. Yeah. And so, you know, where, if, if you can compete in the areas that you control, you will always be happier than if you are competing or caring about the parts of it you don't control. Yeah, there was a great, I think it was David Axelrod after, it was around like the Obama campaign, it was something along the lines, the quote, it was, all you can do is everything you need to, all you can do is everything you, you can do. Yes. Like, that's it. It's like, yeah. that's all you can do. And, th- and then the, what I add to that part is, and then let go. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and so one of the, one of the things I do with my books is like, I always have the next book set before the the one comes out so like stillness came out debuted at number one awesome it's been selling like crazy get to do cool stuff but it's like when i leave here i'm gonna go back to my hotel room because like i have a deadline in like three weeks what's the next book can you tell us about it yeah it's a biography of of the different stoic like the main oh, stoic okay. figures we'll have you back for that i, I don't want to so <laughs> but, but do you know what i mean yeah so, no totally and, there's and, always something and so that when obstacle came out it did okay but it wasn't a disappointment, but it didn't like, it didn't, it did not seem like when it came out, it would do what it ended up doing. Sure. But it didn't matter because I had the the next book. And by the time it did start taking off, also, I still had the next book to finish. Sure. Do you know what I mean? And so having, having the project roots you back, like when Nick Saban wins a championship or loses a championship. He's still back in the film room the next day. Or he's making, he's, he's ducking out, he's ducking out of the locker room to make recruiting calls, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and 
there is there can be that can be done the wrong way you know you're addicted to the work sure or that could be done the right way which is like you're doing it because you love the work exactly no matter what happens and i like the idea you're working on the next book no matter what because you enjoy the process it's about the process yeah so this this all is in some way about success and how do you define success one of the one of the themes in the book is the idea of enough like how did you get to a place of enough and realizing that every time i've gotten to what i thought i've gotten some external goal something some benchmark it's, you realize that it didn't mean what you thought it was going to mean and coming to terms with that is really important do you know what i mean because what a lot of people do is they go you know i thought being a millionaire would make me happy and then i became a millionaire and it didn't instead of that being a wake-up call they go so that's why I decided I needed to be a billionaire. Do you know what I mean? Like sure. we move, like it's like, like I think about Kevin Durant, sorry for the sports, but it's like, you know, he wins his championships with, with the Warriors. Is he going to Brooklyn because he wants the challenge of doing it a different way? Because he wants to be in a different city? He wants, you know, he thinks he'll like New York better. And there's a lot of reasons to New do York's that. Just right? way better than the Bay Area. There's a lot. There's a <laughs> lot of reasons to do that that are good. And then if it's that you think that winning a championship by yourself will be somehow more meaningful, will make you happy, you're going to be sorely disappointed when it feels exactly the same. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And so um, that's one of the things I work on is it's just constantly because the mind loves to evolutionarily we know why the mind and the soul believe that external things will finally give us what we're missing from our childhood or from, you know, our fall from grace or whatever it is. But we have to, the logical part of our brain has to constantly be reminding ourselves that that is a lie. Well, I also think it's a little more complicated and difficult for people who are in the spotlight with regards to accomplishments and when that becomes part of the equation. So so I think part of it too, if I'm KD, it's he's probably also thinking about, well, am I happy, but what's all the shit I'm going to get from the media for yeah. not doing this? And and so for, and also, I think it's hard for people who are in the public spotlight. It was an earlier point of, of that becoming part of who you are and your story. And it feels good. Yeah. To to play in front of a certain number of people or, you know, get a certain number of likes and you become used to that and over time it becomes part of who you are. There was a uh do you know Arthur, I think it's Arthur Brooks, the uh Yeah. He he wrote a piece recently about like retiring. Oh, the professional decline. Yes. Yes. So good. I loved Incredible. it. And essentially like this old well, I'll let you I, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, and and having talked to a lot of these athletes, it's interesting. Like the athletes that I know are like that are my age are like this is it. They're retiring. You know what I mean? They're having to face that decline earlier than you or I would have to face because they don't have they don't can't do it forever. Um, but he, yeah, he's talking about at some point you hit your peak, and once you hit your peak, it's a pretty steep decline from there. And so if your identity, if your quality of life is dependent on that peak. The Stokes would say, you've now set yourself up to be disappointed. If you're 
But if you're, you know, your happiness, your satisfaction is relationships. It's the process. Right. It's, you're in a, in better shape. And so, yeah, I do. I do think about that a lot. I mean, and, and the worst part is when you do a creative thing, like in the way that sports are sort of binary, it's like win, lose, this is a score. Mm -hmm. The creative professions have been disrupted by, you know, the visibility of data, right? Like, did people click this? Did they not click it? Mm -hmm. And so like now when I think about my best work, it was coming from a place that was totally ignorant of those things on purpose. And when I think about them, when I think of like sentences I've written or things that I did or sh didn't do on books that I wish I'd done differently, almost at the, always at the root of them was a consciousness about how other people would perceive it, you know? So, yeah, so how do we, again, it's because, you know, if we say trust the process, it's about the journey and like, how do we, is it as simple as is trying to be grateful every day? Like, how do we, how do we, how can we enjoy? I think we all sort of know this, but how can we enjoy the process, the journey, in a way that is is better for our long term health and happiness? One of the things I do as far as a gratitude practice is like, <clears throat> it's easy to be grateful for the good stuff, right? There's this awesome Donald Trump tweet. Let's just stop there. Yeah. No, it, it, awesome, awesome for unintended reasons. But a couple of years ago, he, he tweeted like, "Happy Thanksgiving, even to the haters and the losers." Right? <laughs> we, or, you know, which is you know so so obscene. But it's like that's actually who we should be most. It's easy to be grateful for your friends and your family and your success, and that you live here and not there and all these things. So we, we there's a what I try to think about. I try to be grateful for the shitty stuff. You know, I try to mm. think, I try to actively work on gratitude for the things I'm naturally not grateful for. And I think about that too, as far as, as like, it's easy to look at the Grand Canyon and be like, this is beautiful. It's easy to rent a cabin in the woods and look out over the snow and be like, so grateful. Can you do it looking out of a cab window in New York City? You know, can you do it in an empty parking lot? You know, like, can mm -hmm. you, so, so the stoic practice is like, is not, it's it's not running out into the most beautiful natural you know things or the most beautiful pieces of art and appreciating them that that comes easily but it's, it's cultivating the ability to be grateful to see the beauty in the ordinary and even the undesirable that i think in doing that that's where you're strengthening the muscle i love that so what do you think we're getting wrong as a society and, and something i've said it, it feels like we're generation anxiety yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the big one I've written about this, it ironically made people very angry. We have now conflated anger and political process or like anger and political sort of purity. So, you know, there's, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And I'm not saying there's not outrageous things happening in the world. There are. But we have almost conflated we've almost come to think that being angry, being upset, being worried, being anxious is our obligation as human beings. And that's not historically where change comes from. I mean, yeah, sure. I've had enough. I'm not going to take it as important. Well, you say angry is not productive. It's, it's not, not anger it's, is not productive. It's not productive and it's corrosive fuel. So I think there's a reason that Martin Luther King is, is having to remind himself about love and Gandhi is doing the same thing. Um, it, it, there is evil in the world, 
And it's precisely those people, the Stoics would say, in those tough situations that you can't afford to be irrational towards, right? Mm -hmm. So like my thing is like, okay, the vast majority of people doing bad stuff in the world, it's not on purpose, right? They're, they're just ignorant, right? They're, or, or worse, they think they're doing the right thing and they're right. doing the wrong thing. Right. So yelling at those people does not change them. Um, and then there is real evil in the world. There are real bad actors. There's the Steve Bannons of the world, let's say. And those people are too dangerous and too slippery for you to afford to be angry. And anger is not going to solve that problem. You have to be smarter. You have to be better. You know, you have to tell a more compelling story. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that the, where this stillness comes in and where this sort of emotional regulation comes in and this love comes in is, is the ability to rise above the easier immediate reaction to what you see and, and come from a more strategic, a more sure. empathetic, a more creative approach, because that's, that's what we need. We don't need more angry people. We need more people who know how to turn this anger into the solutions sure. that we desperately need. So what do you do when you catch yourself being slightly more reactive than you would have hoped for in a situation? I mean, I think to go back to the idea of controlling our inputs is like, has cable news helped me make one bit of change in the world? No, it only makes me unhappy. (laughs) Twitter, the same thing. So it's like, I'm going to control my my use of these things and I'm going to focus that energy towards really understanding the problems, coming up with contributions to that problem. You know, it's like if watching the news is making me angry about humanity, but then I'm taking that anger home and then I'm a less good father, well, now it's I've, I've taken a bad problem and I've added my own problem on top of it, right? And so I think it's about, you know, focusing on what you, where you can actually make a difference and asking yourself, is this making a difference or is this just me, you know, soothing myself? So what do you do when you have a bad day? Well, I have, a, I have my, my share of them. Uh, to me, one of the key parts of that routine I was talking about is that period where I exercise. So I swim or run pretty much every day. Um, and I have never left the pool more angry than I entered it. You know, it's almost always the opposite. Working out, I think having something that you can win at, where winning is up to you every day, mm-hmm. is really important. So um, it might feel like it's an indirect treatment of some of those symptoms, but to me, it's it's super important. So just, well, I love that because I think with our, you know, I know our audience, we, we love whether it's yoga or running or what have you. So getting outside and, and quote unquote blowing off steam or inside yeah. is is very real and a big part of the practice totally and and it's like the health benefits <clears throat> the physical health benefits are a bonus you know what i mean like i'm going mm-hmm. for the run or the swim for the mental benefits and then the, the health is extra but so something else you said i love this quote too so you you're, you're getting outside you're working out but it's not retail therapy because you've said never going to solve an inside issue with outside stuff. Yes. It's not stuff, right? You know? Um, yeah, it might feel good to go on Amazon and buy some crap. Um, <laughs> but then, then you got to worry about the stuff that you bought, right? I think that's what I like, that it's just in, in my control. Um, you know, I've never 
left for a run and not come home. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's up to, it's up to me whether I do it or not. You're not like our friend, our dear mutual friend, Rich Roll, who will just run for, he'll just keep on going. Keep uh, that one, the run, the, the, that, that famous run in, uh, in, uh, Finding Ultra, we just kept on. It was like the Forrest Gump run. You just yeah. kept on going and going. It became a spiritual experience. <laughs> yeah, you just go. You go until you're you're done. You know, I, I, was, I love that. No, he, the the I, I whenever I check, uh, and this is I think what social media exploits is it's like you think you had a good workout, and then you see Rich's workout, and you're <laughs> like, I didn't even. Why did I even bother? You know. So so that compare that comparison is is the, the worst part. It, it, it's dangerous. And I, I think, again, with social media, the amplification, this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, there's always someone who's faster, yeah. you know, more followers, more money. And well, I think what we do is like, we know that our social media is not representative of our actual life. But somehow we compare ourselves against other people's as if it is representative. <laughs> you know, like I know what happened between the photos but I, for whatever reason, forget to remind myself that there's a story happening between somebody else's. So in a world where I think so, so many of us are searching for meaning, purpose, significance, fulfillment, these are all things you talked about in your books. What, what are we getting wrong there? What advice do you have for us out there searching for, for something that's missing? Here, I got something for you. This, this, this is a big one for me. I keep this coin in my pocket. It says, Memento Mori. Uh, and there's a quote on the back from Marcus Rios. He says, you could leave life right now. Let that determine what you do and say and think. You can have it if you want. Oh, wow. So, I get it. I yeah, get yeah. that. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but but that, So that's something I constantly remind myself of. And like when I'm angry about something, I go, you know, it's, you're, you're in an argument with your spouse. And it's like, to hang on to this is to make a pretty firm bet that you got longer to live, hmm. which is an illusion, you know? Like the Stoics would talk about uh, just how fragile existence is, how often, you know, the plague breaks out or a war breaks out or, you know, you get hit by a car. Um, one of my favorite things from Seneca, Seneca goes, we get death wrong <clears throat> by thinking it's something in the future as opposed to something that's happening to us now. Mm. So like you go, oh, the average lifespan is 75, so I have 40 odd years to live. He goes, you know, you think about it, obviously the numbers are different, but he's, he's like, no, 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 you're dying right now. Mm. It's like the time, he says, the time that passes belongs to death. Mm. And so to me that changes what I care about, what I focus on, what I hold on to, what I let go, how I measure success. Um, and so, you know, there's a morbidity to thinking about death and it causes a lot of people anxiety, but I think the Stoics are saying, no, this isn't depressing. It's empowering. It's freeing. It's clarifying. It's illustrative. And, and so for me, this sort of active practice of like, today could be it. How do I want to spend it? And Mm -hmm. so I even think about this, we talked about goals. Like when I'm writing, I go like, this might be the last time I touch this manuscript. So it's not like I got to finish to get it done. It's given the time that I had, am I happy closing today? 
Mm. You know what I mean? Like, did did I leave anything undone that I could have done today? And this helps me with gratitude. This helps me with focus. This helps me with with all of it. So, you're arguably one of I'd say the the greatest thinkers, writers of, of this generation. And you're also completely self-made, you know, great story, which we didn't, but you know, dropped out of college, you know, took out like you completely self-made. And I think so many people are looking to build their brand, build a business or just be successful in, in the commercial sense in the way you are. What advice do you have for those people who are, you know, in the journey, in the struggle, in the shit, yeah, I mean, I, I I wouldn't say I'm self-made, and like you know, I was lucky to be born now to the parents sure. I had. Like there 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 are incredible advantages and privileges that that go in into it, but and I think that's important as far as the gratitude and and you know about ego. What happens is people take credit for things that have nothing to do with them, and then they that is the false confidence that we want to start avoid. telling themselves a different story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like were you are you a great real estate agent or are you happen you started your career seven years ago, like one of the largest <laughs> bull markets in history. That's the person who's going to get destroyed when the market switches, right? Uh, are you a great basketball player? Cause you learned everything about the game. Are you a great basketball player? Cause right now you're taller than everyone else or, or whatever. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's a big part of it. But I, I, as far as like career stuff goes, like what I, too many people try to copy other people. And when I wanted to write a book about stoicism, no one was excited about a book about stoicism. And and so when I persevered and I decided to do the book that I wanted to do, and I took that risk, when it paid off, I was the only one. And so way too many people go, oh, you know, lots of people are making money on Instagram. I'm going to do that. Or, you know, like I think Peter Thiel has talked about He's like, you don't want to be the 40th Indian restaurant in Palo Alto. You know, like you, you want to, you want to go where you have a monopoly. He says competition is for losers. I love that. So when yeah, I, zero to one. Yeah, yeah. So when I think about what I'm going to write about, I think it's not just is, can I, you know, you have to do the thing you can't not write. You have to do the thing that only you can do. Does that, you, yeah. you know, so, so it's like if somebody else can do it, it's not for me. Like we all are, if you want to have a monopoly, like you're a totally unique person with unique DNA, unique experiences, unique opportunities. Focus on that. Don't give away mm-hmm. your edge by being more like what other people are doing. So with nature nurture, how much do you think of you and just other successful people you've come across how what's the what is it is it 80 20 is it 50 50 is it 20 80 it's funny there's probably it's probably one of those things where like it doesn't matter but like which one you choose has different pros and cons so it's like if you decide to say like it's all nurture it's all what i did that's like taking the agency that's great right you're like i made this like that that's empowering on the other hand uh if you go, you know, this was random, this is biological, there's a humility in that. Like, I think one of the reasons athletes tend to be religious, um, successful athletes tend to be religious, yeah. is it's like giving credit to someone else is really important. It helps them bounce back from failure and not be, mm-hmm. you know, 
sincerity of the belief aside, I think it's an, probably an advantage to be like, you know, I just, you know, I prayed and, you know, gave it up to God and here I am. Um, so I think there's advantages to both, but I, I'd like to think that, uh, you know, it's both. I agree. Ryan Holiday, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Thanks, guys. Check out all his books. The latest one, Stillness is the Key.